Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. Today, we're going to talk about our final Hebrew word, tehillah, not tequila. Nope, don't say that. Tehillah. This is probably the shortest word that we're going to learn. Well, it's the final one, and I've enjoyed it. Have y'all enjoyed learning about this? Amen. Sometimes you just need to praise the Lord in multiple ways, depending on what you're dealing with. But this one in particular is very interesting because this one means laudation, which I had to look that up. Laudation, specifically or concretely, a hymn. A hymn. Yeah, this word means to sing a hymn to the Lord. You know, like the old school hymns and the hymnals, you know? That's what this word means. It's very interesting. This word happens 57 times in the Bible. And I had to look up this word laudation. What does laudation mean? Laudation means a singled out commendation. A singled out focus. This is the type of praise God is looking for. Or you single him out. We did that this morning. This morning... I don't know what Gilbert's on, praise the Lord, what kind of stuff he's taking, protein shakes, something, I don't even know. But that was literally what this word is, a singled out focus on the Lord where nothing else matters. That's what happened this morning. And if you didn't jump in that ship, jump in that ship next time. Jump in the boat because that's what it's about. I had to go back and look because I had this idea of hymns, right? How many of you grew up on hymns? I'm going to tell you a quick story, then we're going to pray, then I'll jump into it. I grew up, y'all know my story, grew up going to church my whole life. I went to the type of church where everybody, you know, the red carpet, you know, him, uh, uh, pews. Anybody been there? Pews, like the blue pew with the red carpet. Okay. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> She's like, praise the Lord. Big church, hymnals everywhere. Just there. The hymnal was there. The communion stuff was there. Like, all of it. It was all there. Right? Every Sunday, open up to page 292. Then sings my soul. You know, then we just go at it for 30, 40 minutes, just hymns. And then eventually they started bringing in musicians. Praise the Lord. And then my dad was good friends with the saxophone player, and that dude could play the saxophone all over the place. But I kid you not, every Sunday was hymns, 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 to the point where I got sick of hymns. I just, I know, I know them all. I'm sick of them, you know. It's hard because Cheryl loves, she loves hymns. I can't stand them. 
she was playing them on the way to church this morning. And I'm like, you got to listen to the message. So I had this idea of hymns, right? This, this, uh, this history. So I'm thinking hymns started, you know, like when the American church started, because everything that we're used to started with the American church. But hymns did not start in the American church. I was quite surprised when I did my study on when hymns began. Here's the, here's the fast answer. Hymns began before time. Hymns began before time. Thank you, Carol. You can turn this down just a little bit, get a little feedback. So I want to pray. And then we're going to read this story that we all should be accustomed to by now. And then we're going to find out some more. Ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence in this place this morning. Thank you so much for your word, for the life that it brings. Lord, I thank you that right now we're hearing from you. We're experiencing you. Lord, speak to us clearly that we may know you deeper, that we may encounter you through your word. Let it transform us. Let it mold us. Let it shape us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So we're going to go and we're going to talk about the book of Job. Now, I'm the guy that if you let me, I'll read all 40-something chapters to you. I'm not going to do that, but we're going to read the book of Job. I talk about this book a lot. In fact, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And, and believe it or not, the entire book is one story. You go to the New Testament and you'll have five scriptures that are the story, and then it jumps to another story. This book, the entire thing is one big, long, dramatic story. I have a vision. And if anybody wants to help me with this vision, please do so. I have a vision of one day creating some sort of production, play, whatever you want to call it, based on this book. And I'm talking like intense because this book is intense. I wish I had the money and the resources to do it. Uh, this is something that I feel that people miss in the Bible. They look at Job and they say, too long, and they keep going to something else is it's long. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to attempt to get the entire story to you in a very short amount of time. Can we do it? So here's what I need from you. I need you to follow along with me. Hopefully Cheryl can click as fast as possible. I gave her like 128 slides today. Somebody say praise the Lord. So we're going to read Job chapter 1. It says, there was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless. Everybody say blameless. A man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job's sons 
would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So Job, being blameless, not only made sacrifice for him, but made sacrifice for his entire family. Verse 6, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has been good for a reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is, but reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but do, do not harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sebians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed the farmhands, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. That's one. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived around this with news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds, and I am the only one who's escaped to tell you Two. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Three. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting at their oldest brother's home. Suddenly... A powerful wind, everybody say powerful wind, swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Four. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. What did he do? He worshiped. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Whew, that's rough. Four things happen all at once stuff gets taken, stuff gets burned. And then all of a sudden, his children die. And the powerful wind that was spoken of there was a tornado. If you go and do the study, you'll find all the, the words and meanings. This was a tornado. Another word for it was whirlwind. Okay? So that's chapter one. It ain't over. Chapter two, Job's second test. One day... The members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered, Lord, I have been patrolling early before. It's like nothing has changed. He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil, and he has maintained his integrity, even though you have urged me to harm him without cause. 
Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin. A man will give up everything he has to save his life. But reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. This is crazy. Imagine, if you will, with me. All of this destruction, all this mayhem, everything's gone, everything's raided, everything's stolen, houses are burned, the bodies of his children he probably had to bury after that tornado hit the house, and he is sitting in the remains and in the ashes. And then the enemy comes, takes away his health. And now he's covered in boils. If you don't know what boils are, they're like massive pimples. They're nasty. And they just whelp up like, like a softball on your arm, on your body. And he, it was covering his body. So he went and he got some hot pottery and very sharp. And he started basically razor blading them off his skin. Can you imagine doing this? He's grieving. He's grieving. He's going through pain. He's going through mental suffering and anguish. And yet the Bible clearly says that he maintains his integrity. His wife gave up. His wife was upset. She looks at him and says, why don't, why are you trying to maintain your integrity now? Just curse God and die. You know what that tells me? That her idea of maintaining integrity was for the sake of other people. While Job's idea of maintaining integrity was for the sake of God. See, he was more concerned about his position with God than it was with anyone else. And he says something so powerful. He said, should we accept only the good things from the hand of God and never the bad things? He said nothing wrong. But how many of you know hard times wear on you? Hard times wear on you. So all of a sudden, we know. We don't know how much time has elapsed from chapter 2 to chapter 3. All we know is that Job eventually, he gets there. Chapter 3. At last, Job spoke. And he cursed the day of his birth. He said, let the day of my birth be erased and the night I was conceived. Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high and let no light shine on it. Let the darkness and utter gloom claim that day for its own. Let a black cloud overshadow it and let the darkness terrify it. Let that night be blotted off the calendar. Never again to be counted among the days of the year. Never again to appear among the months. Let that night be childless. Let it have no joy. And this goes on. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It goes on and on and on. 
Job begins to lament. He begins to curse the day he was born. He begins to feel that anger. He, he begins to get depressed. He begins to, to sit in that pain. And this just continues. And it continues till chapter 37. Intertwined in it, you'll see different things pop up. Friends visit and other things happen. But for the next 34 chapters, this is what you get. You get Job expressing his feelings, expressing his hurt. He goes through all the stages of grief in this, in this story. And he's wrestling with what happened. He starts to blame God. He starts to be angry at God. He starts to question God. And when I say question, I mean like harshly question God. But then chapter 38 happens. All this time, God is silent to Job. Anybody ever felt like God has been silent in your pain? God is silent to Job during this time. But then chapter 38 happens. It says, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Oh, I love this. God is very sarcastic. And this is an entire chapter of sarcasm from the Most High. Get ready for it. Brace yourself like a man. Because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations, and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as if it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further will you come. Here, your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness. As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like a clay pressed against beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this, for you were born before it was all created and you are so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. Where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? Who created a channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid out the path for the lightning? 
Who makes the rain fall on barren land? Lord, please send rain. In a desert where no one lives. Who sends rain to satisfy the parched ground and make the tender grass spring up? Does the rain have a father? Who gives birth to the dew? Who is the mother of the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? For the water turns to ice as hard as rock and the surface of water freezes. He's talking about the ice age. Can you direct the movement of the stars, binding the cluster of Pleiades or loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the constellations through the seasons or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind? Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the parched ground is dry and the soil has hardened into clouds? Can you stalk prey for a lioness and satisfy the young lion's appetite as they, live, as they lie in their dens or crouch in the thicket? Who provides food for the ravens when their young cry out to God and wander? about in hunger. This is a poet poetry of sarcasm. He's just telling him, you know nothing. And for those 34 chapters, when he's questioning God, God is like, okay, it's time for me to ask you some questions because you're questioning me about things you don't know about. You're asking me why. You're asking me, why did I go through this? You're asking me, why do I have to suffer? You're saying, I have been blameless my whole life. I did nothing wrong. Yeah, I know. I watched you. Did you catch the very beginning of that chapter, though? What did it say? What did it say? This is the first time God is speaking. The Lord spoke from the whirlwind. Verse 1. This is the very thing that killed his children. This is the very thing that destroyed his family. And God chose to arrive to speak to Job in the form of the thing that killed his children. And he spoke from the whirlwind. Let's keep going. Chapter 40. Then the Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? <laughs> See, I imagine God in like an English accent. Do you still want to argue? No, never mind. Then he says, you are God's critic, but do you have the answers? How many of you have ever criticized God? Why did you do this to me? God's like, oh, you think you need answers, huh? You want answers? Do you have answers? And then Job responds. Then Job replied to the Lord, I'm nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. God is still there. 
and he's still there as a tornado. Imagine this with me. Imagine the scenery. Imagine you're complaining, complaining, you're hearing nothing, nothing's happening, you see nothing, and then all of a sudden a tornado's coming, and he's probably thinking, oh, again? Now it's here to kill me. But no. Instead of it coming after him, it starts speaking to him. And it's God. And he's still there. I would be telling the tornado, I know nothing as well. I'm going to stop speaking now. I mean, just imagine that with me. He's talking to a storm. Verse 7, brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them the second time he's telling him this. Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you're all right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? All right, put on your glory and splendor, your honor and majesty. Give vent to your anger. Let it overflow against the proud. Humiliate the proud with a glance. Walk on the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust. Imprison them in the world of the dead. Then even I would praise you, for your own strength would save you. And this goes on and on and on. And God is just letting them have it. And Job is just staring at this tornado. God chose to show up to Job in the form of his deepest pain. And that's the form he chose to help him recognize just how good he is. You see, our issue is we always want to run from our pain. And God is trying to speak to us in it. We always want to run from what hurts us. And God is trying to teach us something in it. We always want to run from the struggle and question God why it happened. Then God shows up with the struggle and says, how much God is in control. We forget everything he's done. He had to go through the list. Mind you, this is the oldest book we have on record in the Bible. This book is ancient upon ancient. And it's talking about the foundations of the earth and the laws of the universe and constellations in the sky before astronomers even got their start. God is speaking clearly to his blameless child that all of a sudden started to feel pain for the first time. And you might feel like, man, I'm going through something and I have done nothing wrong. I've done nothing wrong. All I've done is tried to do what's best. I've, all I've done is tried to do what's right. And yet, the pain visits everyone. The struggle visits everyone. Probably wondering, what's the point, Matt? Where does, where does praise fit in in this, right? Where does the hymn fit in and all this, right? Anybody there yet? Oh, but then there's this beautiful piece. 
Job chapter 28. In the middle of Job's suffering and anguish and pain and complaints and questions, Job writes a hymn. Can you believe that? He writes a hymn. And Job 28 says, people know where to, where to mine silver and how to refine gold. They know where to dig iron from the earth and how to smelt copper from a rock. They know how to shine light in the darkness and explore the farthest regions of the earth. And they search in the dark for ore. They sink a mine shaft into the earth far from where anyone lives. They descend on ropes swinging back and forth. Food is grown on the earth above, but down below the earth is melted as fire. Here the rocks contain precious lapis lazuli and the dust contains gold. These are treasures no bird of prey can see, no falcon's eye observe. No wild animal has walked upon these treasures. No lion has ever set his paw there. People know how to tear apart flinty rocks and overturn the roots of mountains. They cut tunnels in the rocks and uncover precious stones. They dam up the trickling streams and bring to light the hidden treasures. But do people know where to find wisdom? Where can they find understanding? No one knows where to find it, for it is not found among the living. It is not here, says the ocean, nor is it there, says the sea. It cannot be bought with gold. It cannot be purchased with silver. It's worth more than all the gold of Ophir, greater than the precious onyx or lapis or lazuli. Wisdom is more valuable than gold and crystal. It cannot be purchased with jewels mounted in fine gold. Coral and jasper are worthless to trying to get it. The price of wisdom is far above rubies. Precious peridot from the Ethiopia cannot be exchanged for it. It's worth more than the purest gold. But do people know where to find wisdom? Where can they find understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all humanity, even the sharp. Sharp-eyed birds in the sky cannot discover it. Destruction and death say we've heard only rumors of where wisdom can be found. God alone understands the way to wisdom. He knows where it can be found. For he looks throughout the whole earth and sees everything under the heavens. He decided how hard the wind should blow and how much rain should fall. He made the laws for the rain. He laid out a path. For the lightning, then he saw wisdom and evaluated it. He set it in place and examined it thoroughly. And this is what he says to all humanity. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. Now, this don't sound like a song to you. But this was Job's hymn. And if we want to get technical, hymns were birthed before the foundations of the world were even laid. The Bible talked to us earlier about how the morning star sang while God was creating. Hymns and songs of praise existed before time existed, before we existed. So when God says to praise with tehillah praise, with a hymn of praise, he's talking about praising him in a way that is so focused on him because he is in control of everything. You might say, but I'm going through this and I'm going through that. God is in control. 
I need you to look at your neighbor and say, God is in control. Why are hymns important? Well, in our modern day, hymns teach doctrine and they help us to focus on scripture and they get people to sing the word of God. Thomas Aquinas said this, a hymn is the praise of God with the song. A song is the exaltation of the mind dwelling on eternal things bursting forth in the voice. Hymns teach us to focus on the eternal. You want to know why you always question when you're going through struggle? It's because you're focused on the here and now. God is trying to teach us to focus on the eternal. He's trying to teach us that there is life beyond this. And what we do here impacts our future, and our eternity. And so when we think in terms of eternity, today matters so much more. How we approach things matters so much more. How we trust God matters so much more. This is why he responded to Job. He says, tell me if you know the secrets of the world. Because the reality is we know nothing. We have to trust God. We have to trust that he's in control. Learning to praise God means to learn that he's in control no matter what. Your world may be falling in all around you. He's in control. You may be experiencing deep anguish. He's in control. You may be praying for something that you don't ever seem to think is a possibility. God is in control. And even when everything around you falls apart and all your hopes and dreams fall apart, guess what? He's still in control. You might simply still be asking why, but I would challenge you to stare back at the storm and let it speak because God's in the middle of it. Let's stand. My prayer this morning is that we don't just simply praise God when things are going well, but we learn to praise God in the middle of the hardest times. If you only praise him when things are going well, did we really gain anything? Like Job said, when we read it, he said, shall we only thank God and accept the good from him and not the bad? Then he said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Praise the name of the Lord. You see, maturing our Christianity, maturing spiritually looks like this. Praising God no matter what. Praising God no matter what's going on. Praising God regardless of the situation and regardless of the outcome. We have to trust him regardless of the situation and regardless of the outcome. 
So what I want to do, uh, originally we had something different planned, but what I want to do is I want you to take the hand of the person next to you. If you don't know them, get to know them real quick. That person next to you might be going through something. They might be dealing with something that you don't have no idea about. Or maybe they're going through nothing and they're having a great day. Whatever the case may be. We're going to stand in agreement for just a minute. That we will all learn to praise the Lord no matter what. So... For the next minute, I just want you to bow your head, close your eyes, and I'm going to pray. And I want you to pray for the person next to you, to encourage them, that God would give them strength, regardless of what life may bring. Lord, we thank you so much this morning for your presence, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you're in everything. You're in every situation. You're in every single moment of every part of our life. You are involved in every detail of our life. You don't leave us aside, but you're there with us. You're in the dirt with us. You're in the ashes with us. I pray that we all learn how to praise you no matter what may come, that we all learn to understand that you're in control no matter what may come, that we all give you glory no matter what may come, that we all learn to keep our eyes and our focus on you, that we single you out, that we don't single our problems out, that we don't single our frustrations out, that we don't single our anger or our pain out, but we single you out and we give you praise, we give you the glory, we give you the attention that you deserve. Lord, I thank you for that. I ask that you strengthen our church body. Strengthen us to where no matter what may come, you are praised and you are worshipped. Praise the Lord. You can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at Pursuit CC. Thank you and God bless.